Now we're going we're gonna to continue in our series. This is going to be the second installment in uh, the book of Colossians, a sermon series. And we, uh, the, the idea here is we're just going to go verse by verse um, through the book of Colossians for the next uh, several months. And uh, again, this is week two. And, and the benefit of doing it this way, because really there's two kinds of uh, sermon series we do. One is topical. We pick a topic and kind of expand upon that uh, from various parts in, in, in Scripture. And then when we take a book... Uh, we don't really attack one particular topic, but we allow the flow of the letter, or the flow of the author dictate what we talk about. And so while we'll be in the book of Colossians for a while, we'll, we'll cover a bunch of different topics. And so it's going to be a great, and, um, and it'll keep it uh, exciting. And one of the benefits of doing it this way is that it, it forces me, uh, the communicator, the person who puts these messages uh, together to, to hit subjects that I normally wouldn't take. And today's a perfect example of that because today we're going to talk about the hope of heaven. And heaven's just, for whatever reason, isn't just something that I would necessarily wake up to or just say, hey, next week I'm going to talk about heaven or in a month I want to talk about heaven. And this is, there are other issues that seem to make it uh, in, in front of me. So doing a book like this is really helpful because it's so important uh, that we know about heaven. Uh, it's so important that do we dwell on heaven because this is our hope. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote in another letter to the book of, uh, to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, he says, look, if, if Christ has not been raised, if he didn't raise from the dead and we with him, I mean, Christians are a pathetic group of people. I mean, if we don't have heaven, if we don't have the hope of heaven, then what's this all for? And uh, so it's, it's a vital, vital aspect of, of what it means to follow Jesus, having our hope anchored in uh, the future, anchored in Jesus, anchored in heaven. So today we're going to look at our heavenly hope. And so we're going to look at um, Corinthians 1. If you have a Bible, will you please uh, turn there with me? Uh, there, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the chair uh, in front of you. We're in the book of Colossians. And uh, we're going to read uh, verses 3 through 5 and, and chat about that. And in this, Paul writes in um, verse 3, he says, we, which again, remember, this is him and Epaphras. This is in Timothy. This isn't, this isn't him by himself. So the we is them. He says, we always thank God. We always thank God. I'm going to come back to that. That's an important uh, um, section. In fact, if you would underline any time Paul writes, we always thank God, and I'll tell you why later. But we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we heard of your faith. Again, Paul did not plant this church. He wasn't leading this church, but through Paul's ministry, this guy Epaphras went out and planted Colossae. And then the report was uh, about this church was this, hey, I've heard some things about you. Well, what did Paul hear? Well, he heard of their, your, their faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the reason why you had this love, the reason why you had this faith was because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before uh, in the word, the truth, um, the gospel. And so uh, what Paul is saying is that he's heard a report of their love and their faith. And what he says, this is all because of the hope that you have in heaven. That the hope of heaven produces, it fuels um, this love for others and this faith in Christ Jesus. The NIV translation says that this hope springs up. It, it causes um, this overflow of love, this overflow 
of faith. And Paul is, is essentially saying if you want to grow in your love for others, if you want to grow in your faith in Jesus, you need to have your hope anchored in heaven. Okay, so what is heavenly hope? What is, what is heaven like? If we're going to be saying, okay, our hope needs to be anchored in heaven, what is heaven like? Well, the Bible actually is um, pretty vague on the topic. It, it doesn't give a whole lot of specifics. And, and I think it's because it's one of those things that I'm guessing that as human beings, we can't handle completely. Like we can't grasp it. In fact, Paul, who is a very, very, very articulate uh, man and, and writer, he, he said, I had a vision of heaven and it was inexpressible. That's what he says. It's inexpressible. And there, and there is something about heaven, but the Bible does say some things about heaven. And so I want to name just a few. Number one, it's a place full of God's presence. It's full of God's presence. Revelation 21 says it's, he's among us. He's with us just like he was with Adam and Eve uh, in the garden. Um, and being in fully God's presence means it's a place of complete and total goodness. Uh, there, there, you know, when you think about all the good things that you like, uh, whether joy, peace, happy, you know, those things, it, heaven's full of that. It's not, doesn't have anything, any bad things in it. Um, in John 1, 1 through 5, or 1, excuse me, 1, uh, just verse 5, uh, the, uh, John writes that in God there is no, he's only light. There is no darkness in him at all. And James says, the, the half-brother of Jesus, he also wrote a letter to the church in Jerusalem. And he said that every perfect gift comes from the Father. Everything good comes from the Father. And the environment of heaven is just goodness. It's just joy. It's just peace. So one of the things we know about heaven, it's a place of God's presence. Secondly, it's a renewed earth. <clears throat> Jesus is in the business of restoring things, right? So in the Garden of Eden, we had this perfect humanity. It was everything was as it should be. You know, there was wine, but there wasn't drunkenness. There was food, but there wasn't gluttony. There was marriage, but there wasn't in-laws. It was just like this place of just this thing. Every, and then sin comes in, fractures it all, spins everything, spiraling out of control. And now there, there's this mess, and Jesus is restoring it. So the world got contorted, the earth got contorted because of sin. And Jesus, his work on the cross and his resurrection restoring you and I, and it's restoring the earth. There's that, I don't know if you've seen the past, but uh, there's that part where he's carrying the cross through the, the crowded street. And he's just matted with blood, and he's carrying the cross. And his mother comes up. It's this dramatic moment. And she wants to come and say something to her son, but the guards stop her. And he kind of notices and looks over. And, she, and, and she's looking like just horrified and anxious. And she, he looks and says, behold, I am making all things new. And then he keeps going. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's making all things new. And heaven is the consummation of that, where everything is going to be made right. Everything is going to be as it should be. We don't live in that world now, but that is, and so he's restoring that, and he's restoring the earth. And so it's not like when, when like God's just going to get rid of the earth, and we're just going to be floating in clouds somewhere. I think what heaven's, it's going to look a lot like earth, except it won't have decay, it won't have um, Pollution, the Bible communicates that somehow there's going to be this cosmic merger between a renewed heaven and a renewed earth. And it's going to come together in a marvelous way, which is why it shouldn't be surprising 
that the activities of heaven mentioned in the Bible are a lot like the activities here on earth. Things like feasting, good food, good wine. Uh, there'd be, I, there, it talks about dancing and music. Revelation says there's, there's a, it's a city and there's this river that flows right through it and people are swimming and surfing and all along the side there's trees growing up. It's just amazing, amazing place. Um, there'll be ex- exploration. There'll be creativity. Uh, there'll be work. I mean, work is a blessing from God. And, bef- and, and it, before the curse, it was all good. And when the curse happened, work got cursed. And it made it difficult to make a living. Uh, it, you know, it says he cursed the ground. There's thorns and thistles. And the, and the earth no longer obeyed. Man, it was kind of a symbol saying, look, just as you don't obey me, the earth isn't going to obey you, and work is going to be a pain. But in the garden, it wasn't. And so we're going to have, there's going to be accomplishment, there's going to be exploration. Um, I think there'll be sports. I think there'll just, I I think there'll be enjoyable things in there. The things that we enjoy, I think they'll be there, or there'll be something better. That all those things will be there. We won't just all be like playing harps. You know, in the cloud, it's just like this eternal worship service with the Gaithers. It's like this, it's going to be a great place. And we're going to have new bodies. Brand new, yes. Amen. It's not, and just not those of us who would like, you know, a more chiseled body. But the, those of us who have um, ongoing ailments and physical inabilities that may be with us for the, as long as we live, we're going to get a new body. It's great news. It's amazing news. What, what is it going to look? I don't know. The, the, the only thing we have, if, if Jesus is the first fruits, you look at his resurrected body. I mean, he's flying in the air, walking through walls, and yet he eats fish and it stays in him. Then just, you know, somehow it's just, and they could recognize Jesus. It, it, so I think we'll be recognizable. Just have brand new, glorified, amazing bodies. Total redemption. It's a place of total Total redemption, total restoration, no regrets. Um, and, and there's some things about heaven that I don't think that we'll quite get. And so I'm going to defer to some smarter people like C.S. Lewis. Um, he says this, they say, that meaning this people in general, um, of temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it, not knowing that heaven once attained will work backwards and, and turn even agony into glory. It's an amazing thing. So it's not like when you get to heaven, it's like, hey, you suffered, and, we're gonna, and heaven's going to be payback. I mean, it is that. But somehow in the economy of heaven is that he, they make even the things that we suffered into glory. Into, it's just amazing what God will do through heaven. And this hope, Paul says, produces things. Number one, it produces love for saints. And saints... It's just another word for Christians. It's not just dead guys who did a lot of great things. It's other Christians. It's people. It's God makes us holy. He makes us set apart. He makes us saints. So it produces love for the saints. And now what's interesting about this is that, that Paul puts on the same level love for saints and faith in Christ Jesus. It's going to produce something. Faith in Christ Jesus and love for the saints. Becoming Christians and loving Christians. It's an amazing. You think like, well, wait, Paul, did he get it right? You know, did he take one too many hits to the head? And, you know, was it the translation? You know, it's dim in prison. Did he get it right? Did we read it right? 
No, he, he said it right. And this is, a, this is a theme in Scripture. This isn't just what Paul said. So you, you have the, the Ten Commandments, and Jesus was asked, hey, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, to love uh, the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the other one is just like it, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, in this command, I, just to make sure we get this, this command I give to you, uh, that you need to love others as I have loved you. It's just that we are to have this love. This is something that God puts on the same uh, playing field. Uh, in the book of Acts, we see as people were, were saved into Christ, they were added into the church. There's this togetherness thing. In 1 John, the epistle, first epistle of John, he comes out and says, um, how can, you can't, if you can't love your brother who you do see, how can you love God who you can't see? In fact, anyone who, in fact, what he says is like anyone who says, I, I love God, but I hate my brother is a liar. I can't, you're, you're, if you say, hey, I'm, I'm a, I love God, but, you know, I, you know, I don't love the church, I don't love people, there's something off with that. There's something wrong with that. Augustine said, Augustine said that no man can have God as his father who does not have the church as his mother. He's saying you can't love God and hate the church. This is this, this idea that we can kind of coast on with God, which is a very popular idea. I think the latest Gallup survey said that uh, people said, 87% said that they could have a meaningful relationship with God apart from the church, which is, is a figment of our imagination because it's not what we see in the Bible. It's not what Jesus says, and it's not what Paul says. He says that they go together. Love for God and love for the saints are like so similar to what Jesus is saying. So how, how does this cause us to love it? How does the hope of heaven cause us to actually love? Well, number one, it motivates me to accept others. It motiv- it's a, heaven is a place where there is no sin. There is no prejudice. Um, it, it says in Isaiah that it's a place where the lion and the lamb lay together. Mortal enemies are at peace with one another. It's a place where there is no, people don't point at the differences between you and me. You're like, well, I don't like them. They're because they're kind of like this. Or, uh, you, know, they're, you know, they're older, they're younger, they're this or that. They vote this way. They think this way. They're, they have this skin color. Whatever it is, it's, it's the, the heaven, it, it, it's all the same. It's, it's, it's different when, when, when John has a revelation of heaven uh, in Revelation, he sees people of every tribe and tongue yet that they have this one voice. And, and in heaven, there's this amazing um, diversity, yet total, total acceptance of each other. And when your hope is in heaven, when you're looking at heaven and thinking about heaven and like, I ah, just, heaven is where I want to be, heaven's where I want to be, heaven's where I want to be, you're going you're gonna, to, it's going to cause you to want to experience that heaven here and now. It's going to encourage you to accept other people in amazing ways. That's why diversity is so important. Diversity isn't just like this politically correct thing that the church uh, should pursue, but diversity uh, and togetherness in the midst of that diversity diversity is what heaven's like. And so we're meant to be like an uh, outpost of heaven. You know that, right? Like we're to bring, we're those who to bring heaven here on earth. And so when someone comes around and says, hey, what's going on with you guys? You're, we're like, hey, heaven's going on with us. This is what heaven's like. We're bringing heaven into earth, and that happens through our desire to accept people. Love and acceptance is the environment of heaven. Sin and separation and narcissism 
That's the environment of earth. And as you begin to move toward heaven, as you begin to set your eyes on heaven, love and acceptance for others is going to naturally flow. If you are set, play by the rules of this earth, of this world, the world system and values, you're going to gravitate toward narcissism, you're going to gravitate toward uh, self-centeredness and sin, and that is not what happens. So heaven helps, help helps me learn to accept others. The other way it helps me love my brothers and sisters is it gives me the power to help. It gives me power to help. Jesus taught that when he showed up, and you can read about this mainly, and I think in its best in Mark 1, that when Jesus showed up, he brought heaven with him. He uses the language because the kingdom is here. So heaven, uh, in some ways, it's out in the future, but he's brought heaven to earth. So when, when Jesus showed up, he brought, he brought the kingdom. He brought heaven, and he dispensed that kingdom. He dispensed heaven on people. So he says, okay, look, there's, there's a blind man, now he can see. There's a sick man, now he's well. There's a crippled man, now he can walk. And he went around healing people. He went around casting out demons. He went around setting people free. He went around praying for people in terrible circumstances, and, and he delivered them from the circumstances. And when we get a hold of heaven, our hope is in he heaven, we will, we will learn to bring heaven to earth and dispense uh, that, and it will give us power uh, to help. And this is what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to understand that we have this citizenship in heaven. Colossians 2, which we're going to get to, uh, eventually says that we've been raised up with Christ and seated in heavenly places. Our, we're in heaven, but we're, we're also now on the earth, and we're meant to take heaven into earth. That's what's, how Jesus taught us to pray. He says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are ones who, who dispense heaven onto earth, and we ask for that. So that's why when someone's sick, we can pray for them. We're not like, hey, you know, I hope you feel better. You know, here's some medicine or whatever. We say, no, we, I can pray for you. I can pray that you be healed. I, I can pray that heaven crash into your life and heal you. I can, when you, if your circumstances is all messed up, I, I can pray with you. I can love you by bringing heaven to earth. We're, we gather up. We're, we're ones that have tasted heaven, and we dispense that into this world. It's like, a, you know, a squirrel. A squirrel, they... Um, they go around and they collect, uh, you know, nuts and berries and, and acorns and all that kind of stuff. And they fill up their mouth full of it. And they go back to their nest and they dispense it out for others to eat, which I know is kind of gross. But that's what we're supposed to be like. We taste heaven and we gobble it all up and then we dispense it out to other people. It's this amazing thing we're supposed to do. So we have this power to help. We're not helpless. We can bring heaven to earth. And then the, the last thing it, how it helps us to love others is that we have power to comfort. Because the power of God here and now comes in like a wave, but it recedes. It comes in like a wave, and it recedes. Someone gets healed, someone else stays sick. Somebody's marriage gets miraculously reconciled, somebody else's fall apart. We, we overcome racism, but racism is still there. It, it's, it's like it's... We're, we're in, we're in the, we're, we're experience heaven, but not fully yet. So we, we have, we have hope. We can pray for heaven to be here on earth, but it's not going to be that way completely. Which on a side is one of the, the things that's so uh, terrible, I think, about the prosperity gospel, because it's this over-realized eschatology. It says that, that all of heaven should be here right now all the time. And while we should pray... For, for heaven to come to earth, sometimes it's not that way. 
I mean, Jesus didn't experience that all the time. Paul didn't experience that all the time. And so Paul encourages. So let me show you something in 2 Corinthians 4, uh, 16. Paul writes to the Corinthians. I'll have this on the screen for you. It says, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, look, there are these light and momentary afflictions that come our way. For the Paul, it was things like being shipwrecked, been, you know, being whipped and beaten at least five times, almost left for dead, stoned, um, you know, out at sea, out at land, you know, light momentary afflictions for the Apostle Paul. He says we can endure these things because our hope isn't in this, in this world. Our hope is in a world that's eternal, things that are unseen. Our hope isn't that this 40, 60 years is like the best 40, 60 years we can muster. Our hope is, is in the world to come. So we can come alongside and comfort people. When someone's struggling, when someone's sick, our first motive operandi is, hey, I've got power to help. I'm going to pray that heaven come to earth. But if God in his wisdom doesn't heal, we have this mighty thing where we can come and comfort and say, hey, our hope isn't in this life. Our hope is in the life to come. Let's press on. Let's not, let's not set our affections, let's not set our mind on things of this earth. Let's set our mind on the things above. And we can encourage each other that way. So, so first of all, hope of heaven produces this love, and this is how we can love each other better. But secondly, it produces faith in Christ Jesus. Now, it's important to know that it didn't just say faith. It's like, I, I thank God for your faith. This is faith in Christ Jesus. Faith in Christ Jesus. That, that the object of the faith is really, really important because everybody has faith. Everybody has a faith. If you believe in God of the Bible, you have faith. If you believe in other gods, you have faith. If you believe in no God of all, you have faith. You have faith in something. The scientific method can't prove that there's a God, and the scientific method can't prove that there isn't a God. It's all by faith. It's all by faith. So we all have faith. That's why, Jesus, that's why Paul makes specifically, it's faith in Christ Jesus. It's faith in Christ Jesus that saves us. And then he says he doesn't make mention of the quantity of faith, but it's all about the object of the faith. So he didn't say, I thank God for your great faith. He says, I thank God for your faith that is in Christ Jesus. And the object of the faith is, is so much more important than the quantity. I was on a plane uh, to Denver, and these two kids come in with their, with their parents, uh, a, a bit older girl and a, even a younger a son, and it was their first time they were flying, and... I know that because I asked them, is this the first time you've flown? And they said yes. And so, um, and they, so the, they come on, and like the little girl's like freaking out, right? She's just like, I don't know, I don't know. But she, the parents were able to kind of coax her into this. Hey, it's going to be all right. So they went, and um, he, she got on there. And the, and the boy's just like brimming with confidence, like, this is great. And he sat by the window. The plane takes off, and he's looking out the window. He's like, look how small everything is. And she's like, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, and just freaking out. And Anyway, we land into we land into to Denver, and you know, lo and behold, both of them made it. Both of them got from St. Louis to Denver. Uh, both of them were very safe. Uh, both the son, who had a very strong faith, very confident this was going to work out, he made it. And the girl, who had very weak faith, had no confidence that she was going to make it, she made it as well. Why? 
Because it's not the degree of confidence that they have. It's, it's not the faith that they have. It's the object of their faith, the pilot. So you can be, you can be like, I just believe in God. As long as you believe, as long as the in God part is there, that's what's important. It's not the confidence. Or if you're just like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know is this going to work out, is this going to work out, is this going to work out, but I'm going to do it anyway. Man, it doesn't matter if you have, it doesn't, the quantity of faith doesn't matter. That's why Jesus said things like, hey, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. The quantity, does, the quantity doesn't matter. It's the, it's the object of our faith that matters. And so, if, so like there, we were in um, uh, Encounter last week, this, we this great times of worship up here, and at, at the end of one of them, this girl comes up, and she's just like, she says, her first statement was like, I don't know if God's going to come through with me. Or go, I don't know if God's going to come through for me. Kind of like, oh, great, where's this headed? But then she says, I'm going with him anyway. It's like, that's what God's after. He's not after like, you know, I believe God's going to come through for me, so what, how is that going to affect your life? Well, it's not really going to affect my life. So in this, in this analogy of the plane, it's just like, do you believe this plane can get you from St. Louis to Denver? Oh, yeah. Are you going to get on? No. No, it, what matters is where, you, where you're. So I want to encourage you. If you're, like, new to Christianity or you're, you've been a Christian for a long time, your faith is kind of being challenged, man, take whatever faith you have and you apply it to Jesus and you will not lose. You will not, you will not lose. And so the object is more important than the strength. And the hope of heaven, uh, and this hope of heaven motivates us more and more to make Jesus the object of our faith. And this makes a huge difference in the decisions that we make. Heaven, our, our hope of heaven, shapes how we live here on earth. James uh, uh, wrote, said it like this way. He says that faith without works is meaningless. It's dead. It's, de- it's just like, yeah, I believe the plane can get me to Denver. Are you going to get on? No. That's, that, is a, that confidence doesn't matter. That faith doesn't matter. Faith without works is dead. Um, faith isn't, uh, isn't the fruit of works, so it's not like we go do stuff and that produces faith for us, but faith always produces works. It always produces a different life. It always produces a different way of, of living, a, bi- a different way of doing. We're, we're not saved by faith. Or excuse me, we're not saved by our works. We're saved by faith. But, when we're, but our faith always produces us into works. And so this has everything to do with serving Jesus. That if we, if we realize that I'm going to put all my chips into the Jesus basket. Like, I, I don't know if it's going to work out or not. I don't know if this is, is, this is going to go well for me or not. But this is, I'm going to make the object of my faith Jesus. When we do that, so, so it's going to affect how I live. It's going to affect how I spend money. It's going to affect my priorities. It's going to affect all of those things. And so... Uh, one of the ways that it, 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 my faith in Christ Jesus is affected is if I'm living for heaven, I'm not living on earth, I'm much more apt to give my life away in service as Jesus has called me to. So when he says, saying, hey, lay down your life and pick up your cross and follow me, I'm much more apt to do that if my hope is in heaven. If my hope is what I can get out of, you know, seven days a week, you know, 80, 85 years, then I'm not going to live that way. If my hope is anchored in heaven, I'm going to more and more uh, grow in my love for this. Because James says that this life is like a mist. 
This life is here today and gone tomorrow. If you can read about that in James. Let me just show you this real quick. It says, he says, what is your life? For your life, for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. That your life is like a mist. The other day, um, it's cold in the morning. I said, hey, Simon, check this out. And like, you, see, you know how you can see your breath? I said, hey, Simon, check this out. Breathe. He's like, what? Here, check this out. That it, could, it couldn't like turn, get his attention fast enough to see it because as soon as it, you could see the mist, the mist went away. That's your life. That's your life. I mean, you're going to die one day. Do you know, you know that, right? You're going to die one day. I mean, you can do all the antioxidants you want. You can eat organic, quinoa, burger. You can do all of that, but you're going to die. It's going to happen. Where are you putting your hope? Where are you putting your hope? If your hope is in this life, you're going to want to squeeze everything you can out of this life. If your hope is in heaven, you're like, well, whatever happens in this life, you know, if it's, if it's a good day, it's a bad, it doesn't matter because my, my main thing is to, is to give away my life in service of Jesus because my, my hope is heaven. So, for example, I mean, things like, you know, people say things like, um, you know, when I graduate college, I've got to travel. Well, why do you got to travel? Well, because this is my only opportunity. Or we've got to travel while we, while we don't have any kids. Well, why do you have to travel? Well, this is my only opportunity. Really? Or better yet, or as well, it's, it's retirement now. i got to travel in retirement. This is what I've been saving for. This is what I've been, well, why do you have to do it? Because well, this is my opportunity to do that. Really? There's this whole thing about like, remember that whole thing about God and the Bible and heaven? You know that? I'll tell you when you'll have an opportunity to do that. For all of eternity. What are you talking about? Oh, yeah. You'll have all of eternity to do all the travel you want, to, do, to pursue whatever you want, to all these things that we feel like we've got to squeeze into our life now because if we don't do it now, we'll miss out. It doesn't happen when your hope is anchored in heaven because you're not living for what you can squeeze out of this life. Your, your hope is what's in the future. Weekends. Man, I just got to make the most of the weekend. Why? Bucket list. Got a list of things I got to do before I die. Fly out of an airplane. I got to. I mean, I, my life won't. I can't, I can't look at myself until I fly out of an airplane, jump out of an airplane, whatever. <laughs> I've got to do that. I've got to experience these things. There's all these. There's all this life out there. I need to live. Why? You have eternity. What am I ever going to do? You have eternity to do those things. So you can now live your life for Jesus. You can live your life for Jesus. I want to live in that, you know, if you don't, so if you don't live in the house that you want to live in, didn't have, if it's not this perfect house, if it's not the neighborhood, if it's not this, I want to live by the sea. I want to live, I, I, I got to live by the mountains at some point in my life. I just got to live by the mountains. Why? Don't you know that you have all of eternity to do that? You're not going to miss out. Heaven is way better than earth. It's going to be way better. You know, I need to see the Grand Canyon before I die. You, you, you can see it for all eternity. It's an amazing thing that this hope of heaven is an amazing thing. It means that we don't have to stress out 
if we make it in our, if we have the spouse of, you know, it's like, I got to get married. I got to get married. Why do you got to be, you know, it's, I got to have a career. I got to have to do this. And no. I got to run 10 marathons before I'm 40. Why? Why do you have to do that? Besides the obvious reason. You have all of eternity to do that. I'll tell you what you don't have all eternity to do. You don't have all of eternity to tell others about the love and grace and mercy of Jesus. First Peter, he says, God is not slow as some of you think. Because we want heaven now, 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 now. He's not slow. But here's why he's delaying heaven. So that others can hear about the grace and mercy of God. You don't have all of eternity to talk to your mother about the gospel. You don't have all of eternity to tell your son about the gospel. You don't have all of eternity to tell your neighbor about the gospel. Going to Hawaii, you can do that for all eternity. Having the career of your dreams and really making it, there'll be work in heaven. You know, really perfecting your hobby, hey, it's great to have a hobby, but you got all of eternity to do that. Paul says, set in Colossians 3, which we'll get to like in 2016. It says, he says, set your mind on things above and not on things of this earth. Make your give your attention to things above and not on the things of this earth. You have all of eternity to do these things. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 19. He says, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive it a hundredfold and, and will inherit eternal life. New heavens, new earth. You can do it all then. Do you believe that? Is that your hope? Where is your hope this morning? Is your hope what you can squeeze out of this life? Because you won't really... You won't really serve Jesus. Your faith really won't be in Jesus. You'll say certain things, but the object of your, what you put your life in won't be Jesus. It'll be something else. Your hope will be in the things of this world. And this is a particularly bad thing for our culture. We have a lot of confidence in what we can do. And it's, I'll, I'll use this language. I don't know if this translates with you. I think it's a stronghold in our culture. It's something that owns us. And I think God wants to free so many people this morning from putting their hope in what is transient, which will get wings and it will fly away, when instead we can put our hope in something eternal that is forever. You have the rest of your life to do these things on this earth that you feel like, I just gotta have this. I just gotta experience this. It's like, you know, my son, I was showing some pictures, my son seven, I was showing some pictures to him when he was a, a baby. And one of the things that parents like to do with their kids is torment them. And, um, and so I was showing him, like, hey, you remember when you, like, really used to like this, you know, like, rattle or something? You know, it's just like, you remember when you used to really like, oh, Dad, don't do, you know, stop it. You know, because he's embarrassed. He didn't want to, but he, like, wouldn't let go of that, right? You know, like, you try to take it away. No, 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 don't take away my rattle. You know, he's joking with, hey, you still want your rattle? No, you know, you know just quit messing with me, Dad. And, um, you know, I think that's what it'll be like when we get to, when we, in, in light of heaven, 
your hobby, your career, whatever it is, these things that you feel like you have to, are like little rattles. They're like little baby toys that we feel like we got to have in light, in light of heaven. Paul said this. He said that when I was a child, I thought like a child. I acted like a child. Now that I'm, a ch- now that I'm all grown up, like I act like an adult. I've set my mind on things above. I've not set my mind on things of the earth. So where's your hope this morning? Is it in heaven? How do you know? Well, is your love for the saints? Is your love for other brothers and sisters? Is your love for the church? Is your, is your, do you have a growing desire to be with other believers? Do you have a growing desire to want to serve them and lay down your life for them? Then you know your hope in heaven is growing. Or do you, is your faith in Jesus, or do you find yourself more and more putting Jesus at the center of your life where you're forsaking all their things? It's like you're walking out further and further on this limb called Jesus. That if he isn't who he says he is, your life is a waste. Paul was able to say this. He says, I am crucified to the world and the world to me. When he said the world is crucified to me, he's, what, something that's crucified is a dead corpse. It's a waste. He says that what the world offers me is a waste. But then he says something else. He didn't say the world is just crucified to me, but I am crucified to the world. So the world looks at my life and says, what a waste. That's what it means to solely put your faith in Jesus. It's like someone's like, what are you doing with your life? I'm, I'm a heavenly man. In fact, that's what Brother Yun said. Yun said, He's the author of Heavenly Man. When he was being tortured in the China, Chinese prisons, as he was being tortured, he would say, I'm a heavenly man. I'm a heavenly man. And there was this time in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews 10, this early church. And um, they, to, to, you know, in the first century at, at this time of when this letter was written, to, to talk about Jesus to be a Christian was you went to prison for it. And the thing about those prisons in the first century is that you depended on your friends for basic things like food, water, medical attention. If you did not have friends bring you food, you starved to death in prison. And so in Hebrews 10, there's this dilemma that's mentioned because some of them went to prison, but some of them didn't. And the ones who didn't go to prison had a decision to make, and that is do we go and help out our brothers and sisters who are in prison for being Christians? Do we go public and let everyone know that we are also Christians so that they don't die and starve in prison? And so they talked about it. What are we going to do? And I think one of them stepped up and said something like it says in Psalm 63, that the steadfast love of the Lord is better than life. And the text says that they had compassion on them, and they went to them. And then it says, they joyfully accepted the plundering of their property because they knew themselves that they had a better possession and an abiding one. That they had something that was better than life itself and it was going to last longer than all the property that got set on fire, that got thrown out in the streets. How can, how can you live that way? How can you live that way? It's because your, your hope is in heaven because you know that you have a better possession, that you know you have an abiding possession in heaven. Jesus said, or said of Jesus, that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. 
See, this isn't about motivating you to sacrifice as it is motiv- helping us see heaven. I just, this morning I was telling my dad, I said, I just don't think about heaven enough. I just don't live like this. My mind's not shaped this way. I want to get something out of the weekend. I want to live in a certain house. I want to do certain things in this life. I just sat there and said, man, I need heaven to shape me. Because Jesus talks about a joy that I don't even understand because it caused him to endure the cross. So how do we get this joy? How do we get this hope if we don't have it? Well, there's something in the text I told you would become important at the end. And that is when Paul wrote, he says, I thank God for your faith, for your love, for your hope. He didn't thank them for their love, their hope. He thanked God. Why, why did Paul do that? Why did Paul do? Because it wasn't their faith. It wasn't their love. It wasn't their hope. They weren't the source of it. It came from God. So he thanks God for what they had. Little um, side note, trivia with Paul. Is that he never, in all of his letters, he's very, very grateful and shows a lot of appreciation for the people he writes to, but he never once thanks a man. He always thanks God. You can read, read Romans, read Philippians, read, read them all. They all start, I thank God for this in your life. Paul's saying everything comes from God. So how do we, if we don't have this hope, because you're like, man, I want to live this way, and I think we all do. I think if you have the spirit of God in you, you want to live a life this way. You want to follow Jesus. You want to be willing to uh, go after it that way. I know I do, but I know that I'm not there yet. So how, what, do I, what do I do? Well, what I don't do is say, well, I in my own strength am going to muster up a greater amount of discipline. I'm type A. I could probably work it out for a few hours anyway. But where we get this kind of hope is we get it from God. We have to ask, God, fill my life. Give me a bigger vision for heaven. God, give me a bigger vision for love, loving my brother. Give me a bigger vision for this. So if you leave here today and say, okay, I get it. You know, I want to be more focused on heaven. I'm going to start thinking about heaven. You need to come to God and say, God, you need to give me this hope. Because it comes from, it comes from God. It doesn't come from you. And I want, I want us to experience this. I think this is a huge thing for us, that we need to be shaped by heaven. Where's your hope this morning?